And we're back with On Second Thought from GPB. I'm Virginia Prescott. The indictment of an Alabama woman on manslaughter charges for allegedly starting a fight that led to her getting shot and having a miscarriage drew outrage from across the globe. Ultimately, the prosecutor decided not to pursue the charge, but the indictment opened up a conversation about negligence and culpability for pregnant women in an era of increasingly restrictive abortion laws. One thing that hasn't got a lot of attention... What happens when a pregnant woman is an addict? Here in Georgia, even before passage of the LIFE Act, the person administering medicine, drugs, or other substances with the intent of producing a miscarriage or abortion is open to criminal prosecution. So what if a woman knowingly endangers a fetus with drugs? Well, today we're focusing on how current and pending laws converge with Georgia's opioid crisis. Jenny Carroll joins us on the line from Birmingham, Alabama. She's a law professor at the University of Alabama. Hello, Jenny. Hello. Ed Johnson is also with us. He's joining us from Charleston. He works there at Offsite for Morehouse School of Medicine. He's Associate Director of Training and Technical Assistance in the Substance Use Disorder Treatment and Prevention Division. So that's at the National Center for Primary Care. Ed, thank you for being with us. Thank you for asking. Well, Jenny, I'm going to start with you. You're in Alabama, where the case we mentioned brought home for many people the implications of current and proposed abortion laws. Marsha Jones, indicted by a grand jury for manslaughter for, quote, causing the loss of the fetus. What is the current Alabama law regarding manslaughter or child endangerment after a miscarriage? So this was the first case of prosecution that I know of, um, of a woman uh, for the death of her unborn child. Um, In terms of what the state of Alabama law is, it's heavily influenced by Alabama's decision to recognize unborn children as having full rights of personhood, just as Georgia has with its life statute. So in theory, at least, you could prosecute someone who caused the death of the unborn child, um, given that recognition of full personhood rights. So nearly one million known pregnancies end in miscarriage or stillbirths. That's annually, according to government statistics. Does current law require reporting on miscarriages? So I don't know if public health laws require reporting on miscarriages. My guess is there is some requirement of reporting if it was a known pregnancy. Of course, lots of miscarriages occur um, before the woman even realizes she's pregnant. Um, So I think it's difficult to categorize those. And I I do want to be clear that a spontaneous miscarriage or stillbirth at you know, results from some condition within the woman's body that's not influenced by outside factors would not result in prosecution under Alabama's law or Georgia's law as I read it. Well, let's talk about uh, those outside factors. Is taking drugs considered to be an outside factor or negligent or prosecutable? Yes. So both Alabama and Georgia, as well as many states across the nation, have laws relating to cruelty to children that include exposing them to chemical substances that may either cause physical pain or damage to their development. Um, Because we've now had this shift and we're recognizing personhood rights for unborn children, those laws can now apply to the fetus as well as born children. Well, we should note that in Georgia, HB 481 signed into law as the LIFE Act faces court challenges before uh, it's scheduled to go into effect on January 1st. And it, it does, as you said, establishes personhood. It states the quote, natural person means any human being, including an unborn child. So if a woman unintentionally causes the death of a fetus, could be charged with second-degree murder. Who makes that decision? In the case of uh, Marche Jones, the prosecutor decided not to pursue it. 
Right. So prosecutors in the United States have lots of discretion about whether or not to bring a charge. What we saw in the Marsha Jones uh, case was a use of that discretion by the prosecutor to not go forward, despite the fact that the grand jury had returned a true bill. Um, Certainly, the legislature also plays a component when they make a decision to pass laws like this. They send a strong message to the executive branch, who has the duty of enforcing law, that they believe these laws should be enforced and these individuals should be prosecuted. But it's always up to the prosecutor to make that discretionary decision. There's other areas of discretion that can also come into play. A judge, for example, has judicial discretion as to whether or not to allow a case to go forward. Um, And of course, a jury has discretion as to whether or not to convict a person based on the evidence presented in a trial if the case actually goes to trial. Well, one of the interesting things here is that the cases that have been prosecuted in states are about after testing a child after it's born and a mother once the child is born to see if they've been using drugs. And I want to bring you in here. You've counseled the number of women trying to get off drugs for their health and for that of their fetus. How hard is it for a woman in that situation to get clean? Well, for starters, um, it is challenging at any point in time for uh, a person who has a substance use disorder to get into recovery. Um, it's sometimes easier, sometimes, but but the the main thing with this whole discussion that I really want to insert right now is the one problem with all of these, what, what states are doing, is that the one drug that we know causes the most damage when the mother ingests it during pregnancy is alcohol Mm -hmm. and nothing is done about that and it it at least it seems to be that these cases are routinely targeted at women of color Um, and so it's 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 a bit of a mess well and I also understand from the reading that I did on this tobacco is the most often abused drug during pregnancy and that is also extremely harmful Correct. Yeah. It's there. There are a lot of uh, low birth weight, things like that. Yeah. So what are the best practices for helping a woman in such a situation? And let's say alcohol or drugs. The for starters, um, we know that when you criminalize drug use, um, that you're much less likely to have women seek prenatal care, which causes problems. I mean, that is just we've known that for a long time. Um there are programs quite uh, georgia has has quite a few of them um so does alabama and most states some more than others that are inpatient residential programs for women who are pregnant and postpartum um they're a safe environment um and that is that is the best option and it would be wonderful if we had more of those but but putting an inpatient facility where they can learn life skills also. Mm -hmm. So how about using other drugs to help women wean off of drugs? I'm thinking like methadone or bupenorphine. Can you say it for me? Bupenorphine. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, bupenorphine. (laughs) The issue is, you know, when when a woman is misusing opioids, um, the whole lifestyle, the, the, um, you know, the highs and the withdrawals, places stress on her it also places stress on the um the fetus we know that medications like buprenorphine and methadone that's the gold standard uh, because that levels off somebody's uh, the, the woman's um 
serum blood level opioids. Um, there's a certain amount of controversy in that with, with old school addiction professionals, but all the research supports that that's what you want to do because that keeps the woman from a leading the lifestyle um, that goes along with active addiction um, and and B it stabilizes her and allows her a lot of places uh, tie um, prenatal care in with when they the the patients come in uh, for their medication okay. so it's a win-win Ed Johnson there he works off-site for Morehouse School of Medicine he trains people who offer opioid addiction treatment. Jenny Carroll is also with us, a, a law professor from the University of Alabama. So I'm thinking here, Jenny, that this is part of the problem, that most of the prosecutions and the laws have been dealing with children once they are born and there's evidence of drug addiction or abuse. Most of our laws are about possession. So what you're doing, you're testing that someone has actually used drugs. Is Is there a fine line there, especially when we're talking about a fetus, not a child that's born. Right. So the criminalization of use of narcotics, you're right. The Supreme Court has said that criminalizing a status is not permissible under the Constitution. They said that in the context of alcoholism, though lower courts have applied it in the context of substance abuse also. Um, so I think that's why prosecutors are going after women under child endangerment laws as opposed to prosecuting them just as drug users because they can't. But I actually want to add something to to something that Ed said, um, which I think is important to emphasize. You know, before I started teaching law, I was a public defender. I represented men and women who were marginal. Many of them were people of color who were addicted to substances. And access to treatment facilities were virtually non-existent for my clients. There were so few state and federal funded facilities that could take them. If you had money, you could go to one of those inpatient treatment facilities. But if you didn't, you were simply shut out of those facilities. So when we talk about this impacting individuals of color or minority populations. I think it's also important to talk about it affecting poor populations and rural populations. And I look at Alabama and I look at Georgia, and there have been decisions made at the state level to close down rural hospitals, to cease providing treatment in these rural areas. And I think you are creating a challenge when you both criminalize the use of the narcotic, but you also don't offer opportunities for treatment. So even if you can get over all those complications Ed was describing with regard to treatment, you simply don't have access to the treatment to begin with. So I, I think it creates a real, really an untenable quandary for women who are in this position. And again, we're only talking about women because it's the prosecution of the pregnant person, um, as opposed to, say, a third party who may also be participating in these activities who's right. not pregnant. Well, you're leading to something else that, you know, the idea that in the during the opioid crisis, there has been a shift in one. Yes, treatment centers have been closed, but I think there's a public attitude or a public perception that has shifted somewhat. We've changed. We've come back from the idea of a moral failing in drug addiction, and it's looked at more as a disease. And this may well be because more white middle class people have been affected by this disease. Do you think this reverses that? I mean, we're looking at an era when Governor Nathan Deal here in Georgia, the U.S. Congress have backed off and made criminal um, criminal justice reforms regarding mandatory sentences. Does, does legislation like HB 481 go in the opposite direction? 
I mean, the obvious answer is yes, but I think this is always part of the duality of the conversation we have in the United States about substance abuse. Um, you know, and again, this notion of substance abuse as a disease is not a new one. The Supreme Court case that I alluded to, um, Robinson spoke of alcoholism as a disease and a condition as opposed to a moral failing, failing or inherent culpability. Um, so, I mean, I think we've always had this tension between how we define substance abuse and it absolutely and flows, certainly. And I, I think you're right. I think we are now in a position where we are tending more towards the disease size than the moral failing side of it. But when we talk about it in the context of an unborn child, because there's such fervor around this issue right now in these states, we are really stepping back from that consideration of it as a disease and treating it more as a moral failing. So we are creating greater obligations for the pregnant woman than we would for someone else. In this particular case with pregnant women. Well, of course, correct. opioid addiction, alcoholism, all challenge or negate a person's ability to make informed decisions. But legally, is clarity of mind a factor when a person is found to have committed a crime? It depends on what the mens rea is. So certainly for some of these statutes, yes, you would have to engage in a willful act, um, which would be an act that demonstrates that you understand what you're doing and the consequences of what you're doing. Other aspects of the statutes that women can be prosecuted and have been prosecuted under in states like Alabama and Georgia is the same way. There's lesser offenses that are just a negligent standard that only requires some knowledge of the risk and the potential for harm as opposed to an intent to actually cause the harm. Well, Ed, you've worked with a number of people who I'm sure terrible things have happened because of their addiction. And if we see like a drunk driver kills a child, plenty of people would want that driver behind bars. HB 481 says a fetus is a person, and that's what abortion rights opponents believe. So what do you say to people who think the punishment should be the same for a pregnant woman on drugs who miscarries as a driver who kills a child driving home from a bar? Sure. First off, I'll, I'll be honest, I think that's very much a straw man argument. Um, I think what's more critical and more appropriate to look at is we know, and we have known for a long time, that addiction, substance use disorder, is a chronic medical condition. And my question would be, do you treat pregnant women who have other chronic medical conditions in the same fashion? And if the answer is no, then you've got the answer right there. Um, and unfortunately, you mentioned about the moral issue. It's not. It's a chronic medical condition. Would you treat the woman the same way? And unfortunately, we don't. Well, this is not hypothetical to you. In Georgia, substance abuse during pregnancy is not explicitly a crime. But you work in South Carolina where it is. Yes. And the state Supreme Court there upheld a woman's drug use as criminal child abuse. One woman addicted to drugs got 20 years in prison after giving birth to a child who died two, year, two hours later. Mm -hmm. So you work with women in situations like these. Do you think the laws in South Carolina have led to fewer miscarriages from women who use drugs? I'll be honest, I, I do anything that I would say about that would be anecdotal. My guess is it hasn't. One of the things, um, the, the decision you're talking about is the Whitner decision, which basically criminalized during the third trimester. Um, and what we know it has done is that routinely most OBGYNs do not test they will not test because they don't want to. They don't want to be put in that position. Um, but in, in the, some states, it's the law that any health worker who suspects it has to test. Correct, and it. <laughs> I think that's that's one of those that um, it 
it depends on the setting as to whether it would be reinforced routinely. Where that is done and where that is enforced is at um, hospital settings where the primary population um, is uh, minority Medicaid uh, patients. All right, um, I'm, I'm sorry, we're going to close in just a minute, so I want to leave the last question to Jenny here. Is it accurate to say that HB 481 would make Georgia's legal code closer to South Carolina's when it comes to these kind of situations? It would. It would make it closer to a lot of these conservative statutes. And, and I, I just want to add, too, when you talk about what it's going to criminalize, it's not only going to criminalize exposure to drugs or other substances. I mean, in theory, it could criminalize any sort of risk a woman engages in that causes harm to her child. So as someone who's the mother of two children, I drove cars. I flew in planes. I drank alcohol in my third trimester. Could I be prosecuted if it put my child at risk? In theory, yes, under these statutes. So I think you have to see it for the broad expanse that it may create. And, and again, it's important to emphasize it's not just medical conditions like addiction or other conditions like Ed was alluding to. It could be any risk. And, and that Jenny, should matter I'm to so us. sorry that we're out of time, yeah. but I thank you so much for your thorough answers. Law professor at the University of Alabama. Thank you. And Ed Johnson, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you.